This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello there. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Quickly, quickly, we haven't got long. Please listen to the all-new Angelos and Barry podcast. It's a family one. Oh, my God, it's hilarious. There's so much muck in it. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Out of Character, a podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy, find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and just generally shoot the breeze, and more importantly, have a laugh. My special guest for episode two of the podcast is the writer-performer, Anna Morris. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. How how are you doing? I'm very tired. I slept very badly, but that seems to be quite normal in lockdown, I'm told. Sure. How are you sort of faring in, in lockdown? Because I should point out, of course, we are recording this during lockdown, so... Up and down. Like, I'm, I think one day I'm fine and I'm kind of getting on with it and I'm keeping myself busy. And then the next day I'll read the news or just think about it too much. I think ruminate a bit too much and get a bit anxious and that's why I'm sort of having problems sleeping because I'm worrying and I'm a bit of a catastrophizer so I'm very good at I'm very good at jumping ahead my brain is my best friend and my worst enemy like my brain can create things and I love it for that but then it can create things in another way that are, are not very nice so I have to I have to try and um distract myself with things and keep busy I think because mm, you did your uh uh, isolation videos yeah I did I did a bunch at the beginning of the lockdown I think I did it I did seven days worth of my, one of my characters Georgina's isolation diaries and um that it got to the point after doing seven I was like I really need to move on and try and do stuff that's actually going to get me money because the problem is I like, yeah. on YouTube and I get I get okay amount of viewers but it's not gonna you know it's not gonna get me any money I don't get adverts on them or anything so no sure I had to just sort of make a call on it and go do you know what I love doing this but it's not really it's, I don't know if it's a great use of my time, but I'm going to try. I am going to. I'm going to actually make a video this weekend of something stupid I've come up with. So if it comes to me, I'll do it. But trying to do regular ones, you have to be very disciplined and like make, you. You basically spending all day on it. Oh um, god, yeah. It's. I just don't think I can keep keep that up at all. No, well, I find it amazing how people have been. You know, when I sort of see people who are just constantly putting out content, it's pretty impressive to do that. It's re- and it's a really good thing to do because it does keep you creative and it keeps you going yeah I think my problem is I feel guilty if I do it and I'm I'm not progressing in terms of like trying to get stuff pitches away and stuff but then whether you're a parent or whether you're an artist or whatever you're doing I think there's this I think people sort of go oh you know use the time to write a novel or write a screenplay or do something you've always wanted to do learn a language and it's like well that's that's all very well but I don't think our heads are in the right space to 
to do that. Um, no, absolutely. And I can't concentrate for for long moments at a time at the moment. Um, so I'm, you know, I would love to learn Spanish and I'd love to teach myself a load of stuff, but I just don't have the concentration. So I'm kind of trying to be nice to myself. I don't think I'm going to write that screenplay that's going to make me look. Like <laughs> it's going to. I don't think it's going to happen. You're somehow. not going to write uh, the next King Lear. I don't think I am. No, you know? I don't think so. No, I think I'm just giving up on that. <laughs> Mm. So, in terms of um, uh, radio podcast interviews, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is perhaps one of the few where you're just being yourself? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I suppose I haven't really done any as me, apart from if I do interviews, but I don't really tend to do that a lot. And um, I think I've realised that's kind of partly why I do character comedy, because I find my voice extremely annoying. Like, I probably won't listen to this back, <laughs> but when I'm in character... I find it way more comfortable to be in character and more I'm more confident and I I enjoy it more I can do different voices I can not be me so I yeah I find it awkward being me What is your process when you come up with a, when you create a character because you've obviously over the over the years you've built up so many different characters and so many different stories yeah. is there a, a sort Starting of process point. yeah I think there is a loose one I think the my, for me, my characters start with a voice. Um, I don't know if other people do that, but that it's, a voice will pop into my head and it's normally a very distinctive voice um, and it's often an accent, but it's not like I've purposely chosen that and gone, oh, I'm going to do an accent to show I can do accents. It's just literally... A, the voice might be something... I, I never quite know where I've picked it up from. I wonder whether I've subconsciously picked up a voice from a queue of a, you know, a shop I'm in or when I've travelled and stuff. And then the voice... The voice for me always comes first and it's a certain tone of voice and then the voice kind of then weirdly sort of starts dictating how the character is and then I start working out if the voice is stuck in my head I start to work out who the character is so some examples would be um I did a cruise ship host character called Janine you talked a bit like that and yeah. um when I that that voice came from, I'm pretty sure I was in a queue in a shop, and there was two women in front of me talking about a cruise they'd been on, oh, yeah. and one of them had this lovely northern accent. She was going, "Do you know what? I absolutely loved it, but what I didn't like was the um, the food was absolutely awful, and my husband got food poisoning on the second day, and it was all, and it, she basically was just having a rant, and it got stuck in my head, and then I just <laughs> thought I was just thinking about cruises and thought this character would be quite a good cruise ship host. And then I think my Australian my, my Australian character Taylor Tyler yeah um like goes up, her voice goes up at the end all the time and it's quite whiny it, quite, it comes through the nose like this <laughs> yeah. and I think that came from I've travelled loads around Australia and I think I must have picked up loads of voices and I think she came from just a load of voices I picked up and then I was trying to work out what she was and she was quite irritating so I decided she was like an influencer YouTube star and thought she was kind of amazing and then so I start with the voice and then if I'm doing it um. Obviously, if I'm developing it stage, I start to think about how they move and what their kind of manner is. So Taylor Tyler's quite, when she walks, it's quite catwalky. Yes. And she's a bit hunched over and a bit kind of teenage, a bit sort of lazy and a bit sort of whatever about things. And the cruise ship host is very fast. Yeah. All her gestures are really fast. And so it's, I think the process is that, really. And then I work out what they do and all, all my stuff has a twist. So I always work out what they do, but there's always something a bit sinister underneath what they do. So a really good example would be Jane Doe. Yeah, I was going to say your baking character. So she came from, that distinctively to me, came from a combination of things. It came from a voice I heard in a 
um, temp job I had where the woman showing us around was so, bless her, so nervous that she, she spoke like that and she <laughs> sounded like um, she was on the verge of tears all the time. And she literally looked like, I don't know, I don't know what was going on with her. She's having some kind of breakdown, but she was so sweet. But she, she, her voice was like that. It was, and I was like, God, her voice is about to crack. And she's about to like burst into tears. Yeah. And that voice, um, that was years ago and I always remembered that voice and thought that's a great voice for a character but what does the character do and at the same time I'd been with my sister at this sort of local fake thing and oh, it was right. a really twee stall with like doll's house I think it had doll's house miniature furniture but it was really badly made and really <laughs> awful and the woman the woman behind it was all dressed in like Kath Kitson style clothes and a headband and looked very twee and was quite nervy and my sister was like oh god that's a really good character and then um, <laughs> I think I just put two and two together and then I kept going past like those shops that sell really twee sort of like signs saying home is where the heart is and Prosecco solves everything and all that oh kind yeah of yeah stuff and then the Kath Kidson phase of like everyone wanting that that kind of kitsch 1950s type stuff and I put all these things just ended up in this character and I decided that she was a baker, but then I was like, that's too, that doesn't go anywhere. And actually this leads to my process of like, that's, I always start off with one thing and then I'll go and do it at a gig for like five minutes and then I'll work out from the gig what is funny about the character. And I think with that character, I took it to a gig and I didn't have anything apart from she was a baker and she kept trying to give out cakes and her hands were shaking. Yeah. But the problem was that was funny for about a minute and the voice was funny for about a minute and she was quite self-deprecating and... Um, it was quite tragic what she was talking about. But then I realised, I was like, right, that doesn't really go any further. That's really not enough to sustain the character. So I nearly gave up on it. And then I suddenly went, okay, what if the five minutes is like her introducing herself and it's really tragic and nervy and sad? And what if she's really twee, but there's underneath there's something going on? And it, obviously in the end, it turned into this big big character that ends up drugging Kate. <laughs> yeah. um, and it turns out all the... Kate, all the um, the secret ingredient in her cakes which causes queues down the road and sellouts is is um lots of different drugs mm. and then it becomes very sinister so that that and then then i um then i think around the time i was watching breaking bad and i woke up in the middle of the night as i do with my best ideas and suddenly thought baking bad <laughs> and then the idea was that she was a woman who didn't have much money and she was trying to get money back in the most but in the best way she could which was baking and putting drugs and things and then you know so i think it, it starts with a voice then what they do and then why they do it and then I find it in performance basically and it's always got to it always has an element of surprise like the, the cruise ship host ends up being a spy um, <laughs> yeah she ends up being a spy doing some kind of nuclear mission and the cruise ship turns into a submarine and you, everyone's trapped on it so yeah it kind of I have to always take it further otherwise I think you with characters you can get stuck otherwise doing a character that's just doing the same thing and it's not going anywhere and you need you need action you need something in it I think. Because you you use a lot of audience interaction, um, and I'll come yeah. on to I'll come on to um, Georgina's show in a second. But generally, I, I don't know. Did you always do audience interaction, or was that something that kind of started small and then? I think it started small. I don't. I'm trying to remember how it happened. I think it started quite safe. Like, I didn't mean to do it, but I think the first character I did, which, as you said, was Georgina, and the idea was she was a bride... Uh, she was, the, the voice came into my head, and it was very posh, like that, and she says, yeah, instead of yeah. yeah. Like, she's very... Um, she just was 
very self-obsessed and and snobby and deluded and doesn't live in the real world and I was trying to think of a context for her and I decided she was getting married and to try her out in a gig I wanted to have a reason for her being there and I decided the reason would be that she was at her wedding doing her speech but the speech was going to be really passive aggressive and basically slagging off every single person who'd done anything for the wedding that's how it started yeah so to do that I decided that um she would sort of go to thank someone and it would seem really genuine and then she'd just lay into them about what they'd done. So I had to use the audience for that. But obviously I did it in a really safe way that I'd point at someone in the audience and say, thank you so much, um, uh, Sebastian, for your wonderful best man speech. And then I'd go off and destroy him. But that would be (laughs) pointing at someone in the audience. But obviously I never got them to do anything in the first however many gigs because I just was not brave enough. But people loved the fact that I was including them. And then I slowly, I think it sort of happened by accident, I slowly got braver and I'd do a gig where I'd go, the guy would start laughing and I'd have a go at him and tell him to face the wall. I'd go, face the wall, don't look at me, apologise. It just kind of grew and it kind of started to... The more confident I got with it, the more relaxed I was, the more I started just sort of playing with it and accidentally going off script and telling people to do things. And, of course, then people start joining in and then I would, in character, join in with them. And I think that's when I started to realise I really enjoyed that. And also part of it was when I do gigs, I have the house, I try and have house lights on a little bit. Um, And the reason is I'm partially deaf. So I find it really disconcerting having darkness because when you're doing a gig, you have obviously most setups, you have the lights on you really bright and the audience are in darkness. And I found that the first few gigs I did, um, I found that really, really disorientating and it's for me I think it's because I communicate a lot by looking at people even if I'm not expecting them to say anything I need to see people's faces I need to communicate that way um and I think also it's because I had a couple of gigs where I was in the audience were in darkness and I felt really sort of isolated and scared and it just I can't really explain it it was just a very strange feeling and I think a few people um shouted stuff out like not heckles nothing horrible but to try and join in with the character right because my because I do quite heightened characters people kind of get into it and they join in and the problem was I couldn't I couldn't tell where the sound was coming from because I got no directional sound and it really freaked me out and I also wanted to talk to them and obviously I was like I can't talk to people if I can't see them so I started going to gigs and saying can you put the lights on a little bit um and then I started to love the fact I could see the audience and then that's when I started if I could see them then I couldn't help but talk to them and then I think my stuff just evolved and ended up being shows that I could see most of the audience and I can I can involve them if I want to and I think that's just my style that's really interesting you sort of embraced that because most people hearing a heckle or something would probably you know might run away from that yeah or be sort of you know I don't it's, it's quite nice that you sort of went towards it well I think I think my characters most of them tend to be quite high status um and I think that means that gives me the confidence to answer back in character yes do you know what it's quite interesting because I've had quite a lot of people join in or do stuff and I, I can always handle it. And I realised that that character I talked about, Jane, the ba- the baker that talks like that. Um, yes. I had a really difficult time with her once because I was doing a show when I had I was playing five different characters and it was my Woman of the Year show, the show where the characters were all competing for an award. During On a Saturday or Sunday in Edinburgh, when I was in a huge venue and people were obviously drinking more, if I was in the high status character and people were drunk and making a racket and going in and out, I'd, I'd kind of use it. I'd love it. And I'd have, had, I'd have a go at them as, as a character and they'd join in. It was all lots of fun banter. And there's one time when um, 
this very, very drunk hen night group, which I used to get a lot, came in <laughs> and they were really, really blessed. Well, one of them, the bride, was um, really not well. She drunk. I mean, it was actually quite worrying at one point because she passed out. Um, oh, Christ. Third row, yeah. And I was in the middle of being the Jane character and she's very low status. So I found, because I was in character, I was like, I don't know how to connect to this. I don't know how to sort this out because I don't feel dominant. So in character, I thought, well, what would she my brain's thinking very quickly so I was like oh she'd be really nice so I was like are you okay, are you okay? um can you hear me hello and um I really struggled because they weren't really paying attention and I wasn't able to sort of sort it out and it was it was really and I was about to go into the next character and I think the next character was Georgina and I thought right I'm gonna have to deal with this as Georgina really so I had to keep carry on going even though they were really making a lot of racket and being difficult and then I moved on to Georgina as soon as I was with Georgina I just literally went up to them said get her out don't ruin my hen night get out but it was it was it was it was was, they they thought it was really funny and the audience thought was funny and they took her out and um i think when you're in that character you you can either sort it out you can't and it's really interesting how you you could break the fourth wall and just turn into you but i thought i just don't like doing that so i think if you're dealing with an audience it's you have to you have to sort of almost prep in your character how they would deal with it and actually what i did in the end that taught me a lesson I think that night when I got home, I went through all my characters and said to myself, how would that character deal with the worst case scenario? So someone shouting something out, someone being drunk. And pretty much I've in my time of doing all these shows, I've, I probably had most scenarios, I reckon. And I always say to people, if you're doing a show, try and give yourself like a worst case scenario. And it actually weirdly helps you. I think my advice to people always doing a show and they're scared. I go, well, do you, what's the worst thing that can happen and how are you going to deal with it and have it in your head? And then you won't really have any surprises. No, that's that's fascinating. I mean, so you you had that for all of your characters. You kind of had that instilled. I think that that made me feel safe going on stage. You kind of need to make yourself feel secure and safe as best you can. Yeah. And I think that really, really helped me. And it meant that I would go on stage in each character armed with... And most of the time you don't need it, but sometimes you might need it. And sometimes stuff does go wrong, the tech goes wrong, and but you have to sort of deal with it on the spot. And that can make the show funnier. Some of my best shows have been because something's gone wrong. So like, <laughs> there was a show once when the guy's phone kept going off on the front row and he just was bit, God, he couldn't turn it off. Oh, and I was God. overrunning anyway. And I was like, for God's sake. But luckily I was in character as Taylor Tyler, the Australian one. He's really confident. And I just, I took the phone off him, put him up, put it on speaker and just had a chat with this guy by the microphone. And the guy went along with it, which was brilliant. The guy on the phone and um, that was great. And it meant I had to cut out five minutes of material, but it, I got a very unique bit of show that no one will forget. So, yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Georgina and I am engaged. Tell us about Georgina, because did that start off with the the wedding blogs that you did online or was that a live character first? She was the live character. So I was in a double act before I did Georgina and I wanted to try something on my own. And I think we were doing a gig and we both said we'd try five minutes on our own. And I I had this character in my head for ages and I just had this voice and her sort of doing her wedding, her one huge wedding yes. and sort of showing off really about it. Did that five minute gig where I put I just put a wedding veil on and I did this five minute speech and it went down really well. And then I did a, a gig, the gig again and I did a bit longer and I was like, oh, this is this character's working. This is really fun as like a bridal speech. That's how it started. 
then I was gearing up to my first Edinburgh show and I was doing four characters, five characters that I can't remember. And she was one of them. A couple of months before Edinburgh, I did the gig. I did the gig as Georgina and then a friend of mine, John um, John Drever, who uh, was in my class at university. He's a brilliant director, producer, filmmaker. And he was at the gig and I hadn't seen him for ages. And he came up to me afterwards and said, it was so nice to see you. And I love that character. It's great. Have you thought about doing anything with her on camera and I was like oh no not really and he was like well you have a think and let me know I'd love to do something with you so to cut a long story short I thought it would be really fun to do some really silly little videos of her doing like a wedding blog I've seen on YouTube lots of brides have been doing these wedding blogs and I thought it was hilarious because they were just doing these very quite self-obsessed my big day's coming up here's all the things you need to know and here's some tips and all of them had huge budgets and it was really ridiculous (laughs) not all girls are as lucky as me but I want to do this for you as well so you can have a little bit of escapism from your life because many of you probably won't get engaged or married at all, which is awful, really. John came round and we filmed seven or eight of them. We improvised most of them. He ended up being the voice of Simon off camera, the fiancé. John went away and edited them. We did it in my, my lounge, in my flat, and then I put them out a month before Edinburgh. And I, again, didn't think much of it. I didn't really make a big deal of it. I think I put it on... Put the first, I thought I'll put one out a week and then I put it out and um, and then it was just mental. It just ended up going viral in a day because people thought she was real because it looked really kind of realistic and people were... Amazing. And yeah. people that didn't knew it wasn't real just thought it was hilarious and it was just very, it was a very bizarre day because I was doing an office job at the time. I had a full-time <laughs> permanent job and I went into work in the morning and I put the blog up before I left for work and I was really busy and I kept getting all these missed calls. And I was like, why am I getting... And then people were going, oh my God, I've just seen your video on the front of the Huffington Post and all this stuff like that. And I, it just basically, by the time I got home, it had um, frozen at 5,000, I think. And it said that YouTube had frozen it because it was getting so many hits. They had to verify that it wasn't fake. Oh, or wow. They have to verify, they have to verify that you're not um, using bots or something to get your... <laughs> count up and that they're real hits so I was like so I got home my flatmate was like what the hell's going on I was like well it's frozen at 5,000 but lots of it seems to be on it basically ended up on loads of websites and I I woke up in the morning and I got up to go to work and I checked it and it'd gone 30,000 or something like that which I know isn't isn't huge some people get millions but for me with my full-time job and my I just filmed it in my lounge I was absolutely gobsmacked basically that changed my life that far then I put them out once a week and they they people carried on watching them and really liked them my sister when I was in I went to Edinburgh um again I you know that was my I was using holiday in my permanent job to do Edinburgh and you know it was it was it was just supposed to be a bit of fun I didn't really you know I didn't have um big paid show I had a free show I didn't have like posters everywhere I didn't have barely I mean I spent the lot the lowest I could even though obviously it still costs loads um yes I, it started getting really well, good reviews and I, I didn't really, I don't think I even invited, I didn't know who to invite, but people just started coming. It was word of mouth. And then my sister got my, the link to my first blog and then she found out who Miranda Hart's agent was at the time. Yeah. Um, and they, she just basically emailed them and said, this is my sister. She should have an agent. And then they emailed her back and said, we've sent this around the office. We think it's really funny. Um, is she represented? And my, basically my sister behind my back gave them my show details they came to see my show and then I got signed which is 
bonkers, absolutely bonkers. Um, and then two months later, I was doing my first audition. I'd never done an audition before. And I was in my lunch break at work and I went, to, I auditioned for Alan Partridge, the movie. Oh, yeah. It was only a small part. It was like a BBC receptionist part, which I don't think actually, I don't think the part was in the final film. I think oh, it got right. cut. But I I got to this audition shaking, going, what the hell? I don't know what to do. And I literally went in and went, oh, hi, um, what do I do? I look into the camera? Do I look at you? <laughs> like, and I, I wanted to say this is my first audition and I pretended it wasn't. But the casting director was Sarah Crow, who oh god, yeah, huge casting director. She's amazing. She she um, she's cast loads of stuff like the Death of Stalin and stuff like that. She's, yes, she's brilliant. Yes. And I obviously I didn't know who she was when I walked in. I didn't know it was a huge deal. But I that was my first audition, and it got good feedback. And then I kind of went from there. But um, it's it's that's, it just seems mental because I didn't sort of plan it. <laughs> that's incredible, and it's it's amazing how it all happened so. If, well, it feels like it happened so fast. And it also happened really naturally. And I think one thing I've learned in this industry is when you overplan things and try to expect too much of something, I don't think it always works out. When you pull back and detach from something and don't try so hard and let it kind of happen, the, I always find the best shows and the best results come from just pulling back a bit. It, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's... Um... That's how uh, my Radio 4 series mm. happened because I'd never written for radio before. Someone said you should try writing for the 15-minute slot. I was like, I've never written a 15-minute radio thing before. I thought I'd just have a go at this. Yeah. And that's what happened. <laughs> Whereas the next time I was, you know, developing this series to the within an inch of its life and it didn't go anywhere. Well, this is the thing. I think if you're too precise, you have to have a balance. I think if you're too precise and spend too long you can overthink something like a lot of my live shows if I overscripted it which I used to at the beginning if I overscripted it and got stuck on detail and expectation it would just never go the way I planned but if I just sort of let go a bit and improvised a little bit it always went better definitely if you had to be isolated with any TV comedy character from the world of sketch or sitcom, who would it be? I think it would have to be Liz Lemon from 30 Rock. Oh, good choice. I just suddenly thought of her because I just that character is so funny and brilliant and silly. And I imagine being locked down with her would be lots of fun. I, yeah, I think that would be amazing. Do you think you'd... Uh you'd be creative with her or do you think it'd be the more kind of just slobbing around leaving work at the door probably a bit of both I think you could probably do a bit of both with her I think she'd just be really fun to hang out with and then you make stuff together if she was your flatmate you'd probably get you'd probably make some really silly videos um really stupid things but yeah that just came that when you started saying that question I was like god this is really difficult because a lot of characters I love are really annoying but Mm. actually Liz Lemon is like I suppose it is Tina Fey playing Tina Fey, but it's she's just such a great character. Yeah, it is. It is exactly that. It's that kind of as you say, um, you think, oh, that'd be who'd be a great character, but who's going to not get on your nerves? Well, this is the thing. I st- straight away was thinking David Brent would do your head in. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, can you imagine? He'd be an absolute nightmare. So I think, and Julia Davis, I love but all her characters are so <laughs> or, so horrible. Oh my god! Yes, That's so horrible. I think I don't think I'd want to lock down with any of those characters. Although, but I absolutely love her characters. No, Liz Lemon's a great one.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's an S-Pod thing. The podcast revisiting S Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge watched this. Anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests help me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase "sex object" in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think? Do you think one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S Pod thing from Great Big Owl. Because you came into comedy a bit later on in your career. Yeah. What were you doing yeah. before? You were working in production. Yeah, I left... Well, when I left, I did, did theatre studies at uni and I, I know I'd always wanted to do acting and writing, but when I left uni, I wasn't massively confident and I didn't want to... I wasn't confident enough to audition for drama school. I wouldn't have got in because at auditions, I used to always get terrified. I wasn't great at scripted stuff. I struggled because I just froze and I was much better at improvising and I didn't really know how you'd go to drama school and, and, and kind of improvise an audition or do I basically I just couldn't get my head around it and also the fees I just didn't want to get myself into debt and yes I ended up moving to London because everyone else was well I, I moved there and got a job in publishing as a publicity assistant because I, I, I knew I wanted to write but I thought I wanted to write novels but I worked in publishing for like six months, loved it, but I mostly was putting books in envelopes because I was an assistant and I was getting paper cuts and um, <laughs> yeah. it kind of didn't inspire me to write because I wasn't really doing anything particularly creative. So I ended up from that job bouncing around and getting a job in TV as a runner um, at Nickelodeon. And then I kind of basically all through my sort of 20s, I was working in TV production. I kind of ended up being a researcher, then an assistant producer and I started, I did I I got to be a bit creative in those jobs. I did get to write some scripts for I worked in kids TV a lot and I got to write some quite nice little scripts for kids TV and I ended up um especially at Nickelodeon I ended up playing a lot of the stupid characters. Oh really? Because I was because I was small when kids didn't turn up um I would fit into <laughs> all the costumes so I ended up being like a sheep, a dog, a reindeer, a panda. Yeah. And then I kind of loved it and I I you know, it was a bit of fun, but um, I think I realised how much I missed performing because I had done all my life. I had done at, you know, school, college, university. Yeah. Just I actually ended up working with Beth Weiss, who's a brilliant performer, comedian. And um, we ended up just kind of, I think she around the same time, um, we got introduced through a friend and she was really wanting to do comedy. And we ended up just pairing up and saying, oh, let's do some gigs together. And the gigs were just sort of the usual rooms above pubs, doing some sketches and... yeah we just did these little characters and sketches and it just started going quite well. And then I kind of 
started getting more confident. Um, and it started being like, well, I just started, we started getting paid for gigs. And then I was like, well, actually, you could make a bit of money from this. Not loads, but I realised that you could do it a bit more than it was a bit of a hobby but then it turns out it, it sort of grew and then I ended up getting this permanent job in sort of advertising sector because production tv production I didn't want to be a producer I, I just just wanted to have some stability I think yes um, and also in tv production the hours were crazy oh god yeah yeah I found I was doing like 12 hour days and then having to cancel gigs and not have time to write anything so this lovely job I had was like nine to five and it meant that I could finish at five get home and write or get home and do gigs so I was kind of doing the job plus writing Edinburgh shows plus doing gigs and I kind of worked for just really hard didn't have a massive social life because I was just that's all I was doing sure so it's it's really really hard work but it's it's kind of you know if you if you do it for long enough and get better and better it pays off I think and your show because I'd like to talk about your show um it's got to be perfect because it was just a level of audience participation and improvisation that I just I for me I hadn't seen before like that how I don't know did again was that something that was small and you built it or did you always want to do a big wedding show no it happened completely by accident I love the way this happened so I that show so basically I was still fin- still touring the other show the show before and I decided to do a show just with Georgina signed up to Edinburgh to do it but didn't really know what it was going to be and I was panicking and I thought right it's just going to have to be a wedding show maybe it's her wedding and that's so in, in when because you have to get the brochure copy in really early so I put this brochure copy in and I called it it's got to be perfect um after the song that fairground attraction song and put the copy in for Edinburgh, kept it really loose and said it's Georgina's wedding, blah, blah, blah. Then I always, as I always do, I was going to do in May, I was I was planning to do the Brighton Fringe and do, do work in progress shows. But what happened was I got so busy with the other show and so busy because I think I was still working loads that I didn't have time to write anything. And two weeks before the Brighton Fringe, I had this huge panic and went, oh my God, I've got to do this work in progress <laughs> four-night run with this wedding show and I have apart from like maybe 15 minutes of material that I have for Georgina I don't have enough to fill an hour what the hell am I going to do what and, and I was really panicking so what I did in the end is I wrote an order of service for a wedding and I started scripting it and my idea was I'd go do this wedding this idea was that it was a wedding and maybe Simon was running late the fiance yes. and she'd have to talk about the wedding and blah blah and I was like oh and it was really dull I started writing it I was like god this is dull and it wasn't working and I was panicking panicking so in the end it I got to Brighton with a with with a running order which was still an order of service and I basically just went right I'm gonna have to just have a glass of wine have a play with the audience if the audience turn up I don't know whether they will and I'm gonna have to just um try out different ideas and then first day it was absolutely chaotic it was a Saturday and it was full and I was like where the hell did these people come from I hadn't (laughs) I think I put some posters up and some flyers but it was a really great central venue it was the quadrant right in the middle of town yes and people turned up and I think there were people who'd seen me before and the room was full and I had to turn people away and I was like and I was I was in this wedding veil with no I didn't have a wedding dress I just had normal clothes on and um basically I had a massive glass of wine and (laughs) just went right I haven't worked this out yet but do you want to help me make a wedding they were like yeah they were really up for it they'd had a few drinks so basically what happened is I went through each bit of the wedding and I had so much fun. I'd be like, right, next bit I need to walk down the aisle. Does someone want to pick the music? 
and get your phones out. So someone got their phone out. I said, don't tell me what it's going to be. Give it to the tech. Put the music on. So then I can't remember what they chose. It was something really funny. I got a couple of girls out of the audience to be my bridesmaids. Um, I did a first dance with someone. I got someone to pick the music for that and that went horribly wrong because we kept falling off the stage and it was horrific. And (laughs) I got someone to do a speech... And I basically started off the sentence and said, finish the sentence. So I'd go, when I first met Georgina, and then I'd get them to pretend to be Simon and finish it. And it was it was mental, and it was weird, and loads of it didn't work, and loads of it did work. And when the audience left, I kind of went to the bar, and a lot of them had stayed around, and they said, that was hilarious, it's really good fun. And um, my director came, Dave, the next day, and I said to him, look, I'm really sorry, I haven't had a chance to write anything, up, but I'm just going to do what I did yesterday and mess around so basically Dave watched the second show and Dave is brilliant because what he does is he kind of watches the audience not me because he his thing is all about how the audience reacting and he stood at the back of the room and I was like oh god he's going to think this is hideous it's an absolute shambles and the next day I, tr- I, I got braver and I tried more stuff and it got more ridiculous yeah and he in the bar afterwards he went I said oh god I'm so sorry it's a complete mess it's just made up obviously I'll script it all he went no 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 he said that that's your show your show is an improvised wedding and the idea should be that Simon hasn't turned up so you need the and and the guests haven't turned up for the rehearsal or you're trying this as a rehearsal and the get the, the audience your players kind of thing they're going to help you so basically I went away restructured it and wrote the beginning of like right this is my wedding rehearsal I'm going to have a 30 wedding rehearsals in the lead up to the big day to make sure it's perfect you guys are going to help me who wants to make a wedding and that became the show and then obviously what we did is we got we got spotify so that people could pick a song yes so i I'd, I'd have like people could write a song on a piece of card and give it to the tech and i'd never see what the song was and obviously it's hit and miss sometimes it was really funny sometimes it wasn't yeah like the imperial march was one of my favorites also <laughs> um <laughs> I'm horny, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. People, um, <laughs> brilliant. And then I'd I'd pick someone out to play Simon. I did a medley of songs for the first dance that turns into just the hokey cokey by accident and we blame it on the tech. And it it just came from this playing around and not, not overthinking it and not overscripting. It was ne- that show was never overscripted. It was about half scripted with gaps for people to, to do stuff. Um, and it meant relying on the audience, but it also was very controlled. It, me- it was meant to look like a shambles, but actually it was more controlled than you realise because I, I had to very, I had to work very hard to make sure I had control and that I knew what to do if I picked someone out of the audience and they didn't want to do something or it went wrong or so it, it was very very structured, but it was meant to look like a shambles on purpose. That's what I, I mean, that's what I again I loved about the show because it was so chaotic. And so bizarre, but I wasn't. I was never nervous for you because you felt you seemed so in control of it. Like no one was going to outwit you. And do you reckon that comes from again the fact she's a high status character? Like, would yeah. you have been able to necessarily do that? She seems like a very wise choice for something like that. Because totally. if you were doing another character, maybe because of their status. Yeah, she's very commanding. She's also bossy. She's she's a bitch. Um, <laughs> you can get away with stuff because of the way the character is. And also, I think it's practice. I think I've done that character so, so much. I knew her. I know her inside out. I know how she reacts to things. So I'm fully immersed in the character when I do it. So I know that... I can handle any situation because I just handle it as her. Whereas I think if I hadn't had much practice, if I'd done if I'd done that show very early on, 
I think it wouldn't have gone as well because I think you have to know, okay, if you're going to be a character for an hour and command a room and keep it together, you have to you have to completely know that character because you can't... You know, the only times I turned into me was when i get the giggles because someone would do something really funny. Yes. But I had to keep it together and be her, yeah. basically. Absolutely. Um, it's the only, it was the only, the only way of doing it. But you, you, I think you're right. If I'd done a low-status character, it may have been harder to keep control and keep it together, I think. It also made the show fresh because a lot of people came back to the show. Yes. Um, and that was the beauty of doing it on the free fringe. Of course, people can come back and not have to pay loads of money every time. Mm. Um, and then people came back and obviously they'd come back because they knew it was going to be different every day. That's part of the reason I think it works so well because people would come back with their friends knowing that they'd get a different experience. Yes, yeah. Whereas if you're doing the same show every night, people see it and they're not, well, they're not going to really want to see it again. So I think that's what... There were people who would go, I've, I've come back five times now, because every time they would they would know it was going to be different. And also, it, as a performer, I think if you're doing a long run, it depends on you. Some people love doing the same thing every day. I get bored doing the same thing every day, so I that's partly why my shows always ended up a little bit loose, because I, I like to know that I'm doing something different every day. If, my first few shows were very scripted, so I'd go it, after ten shows. I would go. I was going mad because I was like, oh, I really, I'm, I'm now on autopilot, um, and I think you need to. I think it's better to keep it fresh mm. and try and because then it's exciting because you go in the next day. And you st- I still had nerves because I knew that I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, and you feel the energy. Yeah, definitely. I think nerves are good actually. Because yeah, it, it, that that is the, that is the excitement there, and it means we don't like you. You see some comedians after after uh, however many tour dates or whatever and you can see that they're kind of as you say running on autopilot they're not really as committed to it as they were perhaps the first time round and i'm not saying like that depends on the comedian but that's the good thing about when you do play it a bit faster and loose you're you're in the moment yeah you've got more adrenaline pumping and i think that's i think the reason i stopped I and mean, I, I say stopped doing edinburgh i wouldn't rule out doing it again um, the last time I did it was 2018, I think, and I, I just found it tough. And I think that I realised I was finding it tough. And I think part of the reason was I wasn't getting the same adrenaline rush. I don't think I was as nervous because it wasn't challenging me as, anymore. I think I personally that's that's what keeps it alive for me, having those nerves. And that's part of the excitement. Of course, it's part of the risk because it is scary and it could go horribly wrong and you can have a really horrible run, but... Um, that's part of the game that you play, I think. And I didn't want to go back and do a show that was half-hearted and 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 I didn't care about um, because otherwise it's just not fun for me. And if it's not fun for me, it's not really fun for the audience. So, as you know, there's this sort of chain reaction type uh, idea... It's called Change of Character. Okay. I am going to give you the name of a character, which my previous guest, Tom Crowley, has given to me. And I will ask you to think about mm-hmm. who this character is. Um, okay. And just tell me a bit about what comes to mind when you hear this name. And then afterwards, I will get you to give me your name to pass on to our next guest. Okay. So, your character's name, Anna Morris, is Fiona Cockerell. Fiona Cockerell. Fiona Cockerell, spelt C O C K A R E L L. Right, okay. Fiona Cockerell. Fiona Cockerell. Um, 
I think Fiona Cockerell is actually um, an MP. I think she's with Labour at the moment, but she's sort of uh, a little bit leaning towards Conservative because she absolutely loves Bojo. She thinks he's fantastic, fantastic guy. <laughs> she touched his hair once in 2014 and she's never looked back. She's never washed her hand. But it's been easier for her to get into the Labour Party. And she's, you know, she's got so many great ideas about lockdown, about how to get out of lockdown, um, what to do, um, you know, fundraising, that sort of She's been fundraising, actually, Fiona. She has been hopping. Hmm. up and down a street she's hopped a thousand times to get some money for the nhs right um on one leg um she's damaged it quite a lot she sprained her ankle a couple of times um because she's got she's actually only got one leg and that's <laughs> why she's been hopping um she lost a leg in a in a combine harvester accident um, about 10 years ago oh, um she's so far raised 25 pounds so she's doing really well so far is she currently in intensive care from the um no from the leg injury no god no no she's fiona is a real trooper she's really she's had everything going she's had meningitis she's had syphilis she's had um <laughs> Cancer seven times. She's really been, you know, she has done everything. She really has been through the battles, um, so to speak. She thinks of herself as a bit of a soldier. But she carries on going, you know, she carries on going. She doesn't stop. She's uh, she's fighting for everyone. She really is. Where does she see herself? Is she always going to remain in politics? or? I think she sees herself at some point of um, doing something quite holy, to do with our Lord. She's quite religious, um, Fiona. She goes to church every other Sunday. And she just... I mean, she's not massively believing in God, but she just likes the the costumes and the outfits and the smocks and things. And she's quite keen to become a bishop at some point um, because she just thinks she'd suit the uniform and she finds the church quite 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 a lovely, calming place to go. And she's got her eye on the vicarage um, just because it's got a lovely garden, a lovely little stream and an arga. <laughs> so she's got her eye on that. So she's got quite a lot of other reasons for that, but she's hoping to have some kind of calling, of course. And is she uh, is she is she single? Is she married? Is she what's her Well actually she's quite modern, Fiona. She's polyamorous. So she's got several relationships on the go at the moment. Um, she's caused quite a lot of controversy in her local borough. Right. But she's um, having in a lovely relationship with a couple, um, James and Jackie, across the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in a lovely relationship with them. She's also in a relationship with Alan and uh, Kira, who are down the road, and also Johnny and John, who are a gay couple um, who live a couple of uh, streets away. So it gets quite complicated, but she's having a fantastic time. Of course, because of lockdown, she can't see them all. So there's a lot of Zoom chats that they all do together, yes. which is lovely for her. Oh, so she's she's got a very positive outlook on on life. She's made the best of it. She really, really has loved it. She's learnt Japanese. She's been knitting um, a carpet for a lounge. Um, she's been baking all sorts of things. She's baked a wedding cake, even though she doesn't know anyone who's getting married. <laughs> you know, she really has taught herself a lot of a lot of things. Great. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's that's a brilliant character. No idea what that was. I don't know what that was. It's very. Odd. I'm not surprised that you were able to riff off that, but I am amazed that uh, that just flowed so so naturally. I don't know what she was though. I don't know what this kind of. I don't even know what her politics are or why she exists. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, very strange. That's great. Thing. So, could you please tell me the name of the character you are going to give to our next guest? The name of the character I'm giving your next guest is Sir Hilary Canklefox the Sixth. The Sixth. Yes, the Sixth. <laughs> In a long line of Canklefoxes. Yes, he's the Sixth Canklefox. 
So good luck with that, whoever's doing that. <laughs> Who is Sir Hilary Cankle Fox the Sixth? We shall find out in the next episode of Out of Character. And I guess now you probably better get off and uh, well write write all your your plays and, and your my, uh, yeah. I need to go and write my novel and my biography and my screenplay, yeah, my trilogy. Your Fiona Cockerell trilogy. It's got, it's got to be a trilogy, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what do you think lockdown's for, Anna? Come on. Yes, I need to go and do that now. I need to go and write it now. <laughs> waste my day. Great. Oh, well, thank you so much for being my guest, Anna Morris. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um, and you know what they say about men. I mean, they're like parking spots. All the good ones are taken, and the rest are either too small or disabled. GreatBigOwl.com Hello, I'm Chris England, and I'm here to tell you about the Fun Factory podcast, available now on Great Big Owl. Each time, I will be reading a couple of chapters of my novel, The Fun Factory, a historical comedy about the history of comedy, so it will kind of be like a free audiobook, which you can listen to at the gym, or jogging, or at your desk while pretending to do your job, or on the train, without the embarrassment of people seeing you actually reading a book like some kind of swat. (laughs) 